0: Last week, Lee talked about the spiritual reality of eternal life after our brief time here on this earth. There's a lot we don't understand about the afterlife, no matter how well we know the teaching of the Old Testament prophets and even the teachings of Jesus and the New Testament writers. But there is a lot we know also. We do know, as Jesus pointed out last week, he juxtaposed the simple concept of entering eternal life or the eternal kingdom of God in its fullness, a concept that is often referred to simply as heaven versus some form of eternal separation from God or the so-called second death, referred to most often as hell. Jesus spoke more about hell than all the other prophets and the Bible writers combined, but he also said that he came to provide us a way to escape the law of sin and death, and to join him as a member of his forever family in a wonderful place in the afterlife. The reality of that life with Jesus for his children, though, begins now on this sin-cursed planet as we confess our own sinfulness and our need for him and embrace his sacrifice of himself as an atonement for our sin and accept his love, mercy, and forgiveness. Life with Jesus in the here and now brings with it his ethos, his specific set of kingdom moral standards, a new way to live. Jesus taught about more than just salvation and great eternal realities like heaven and hell. He taught his followers how to live life on this earth in the midst of the chaos, the sin, and the pain, and quite frankly, he set the bar very high. He gave very specific instructions on what to do and what not to do, what to say and what not to say even what to think about and what not to think about and how we should spend our time and our money and how we should treat our spouses, our children, our co-workers, our employees, our bosses, our neighbors, strangers, and even our enemies. One area of life he addressed on more than one occasion was gender, marriage, and divorce. This morning, we continue our journey to the life of Jesus Christ, viewing it through the lens of the first century Jesus historian, John Mark. Let's hear from Jesus now on the topic of gender, marriage, and divorce. Turn with me now, if you have a Bible, to Mark chapter 10. We're going to cover verses 1 through 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom. He taught them. Jesus was always teaching the values or the principles of the kingdom of God wherever he went. So some Pharisees came and tested him by asking. Now, when it says that, we're not sure what or how they were trying, whether they were trying to trap him or whether they were in an argument with each other and wanted to know which view of divorce we'll see that in just a minute was right or wrong, or are they trying to do something else? But anyway, they came and they asked him this question: Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Sounds like a simple question, but actually, it's a little bit more complicated than just that. They're asking him about no-fault divorce, a position that many of them were taking at that time, or divorce for any cause. Was some of their positions. They're saying, really, is it lawful for a man to just divorce his wife for any reason that he wants to? They're not talking about the reason of adultery or immorality. So Jesus does what he often does. He asks them a question in response to their question. Well, what did Moses command you to do? He knows what they're going to say. Where they're going is Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1-4. through 4. He knows exactly what they're thinking. And so he says, well, let's basically go there. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Let me address that. A certificate of divorce sounds like a terrible thing to do to a woman in that day and time because it could mean that she was going to starve to death she had no means of support. But actually, it was a gracious thing to do if you were going to divorce a woman because it allowed her legally, under Jewish law, to get remarried, a rather strange concept. Verse 5, Jesus' response to their statement about Moses permitting men to write a certificate of divorce and just send your wife away. It was because your hearts were hard, meaning for both men and women, marriage can be difficult at times. And because we're sinners and have hard hearts, Moses allowed them to divorce their wives. That Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replies, let's go back to the beginning. But at the beginning, verse 6, of creation, God made them male and female. That's a strong gender statement. It re- Rates what's stated three times in the first five chapters of Genesis, male and female, meaning there's clear distinctions between the genders. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they're no longer two, but one. Let me comment on that. Verse 8 is actually a tightening of what Well, it's a loophole left in the interpretation of some passages in Genesis. In Genesis, it said, they will become one flesh. And what had happened, the Jews had used that basically for at least a few centuries to validate the concept of polygamy, meaning that it could be more than two will become one flesh. And Jesus is now changing the wording saying, It's supposed to be only two that will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Then he says in verse 9, a passage that's often recited in weddings, Therefore what God has joined together, let not man, including Moses or anyone else, separate. That's the ideal standard. Verse 10. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, Very hard. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband, not allowed under Jewish law, but they were living in the Roman Empire and it was allowed under Roman law for a woman to divorce her husband simply by leaving him and abandoning the marriage and she could remarry and marries another man, she commits adultery. So basically Jesus is saying here, Regardless if it's under Jewish law or Roman law, if anyone, man or woman, divorces their spouse for the so-called any cause, or just because they want to, it's causing the other person to commit adultery, and it's an adulterous divorce, and it's an adulterous remarriage. Now, let me make a few comments about this text in general. There were two views on divorce among the Jewish rabbis in Jesus' day based on two different interpretations of Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. That's the passage in question that Jesus is referring to in Mark 10, 4, when he talks about what Moses said. Again, the question that's being asked by of Jesus is whether it's okay to divorce your wife for so-called any cause or in any reason you want to. In other words, is it okay for a man at least to have the option of a so-called no-fault divorce? The first century of Jews likely did not provide a way for a woman to divorce a man, even though some scholars would argue that the Old Testament passages like Exodus 21, 10-11 at least espouse a principle of a woman's right to leave the marriage if the husband does not provide for her food, clothing, shelter, and love, both physical and emotional. But the Jews never really fully embraced that principle pragmatically and put it into operation. Before we get to the two views of the Deuteronomy passage, let me add again that under Roman law, which is what the Jews lived under, a woman, not just a man, could divorce by simply leaving the marriage with the intention to abandon it. That is why Jesus throws in, and Mark throws in, verse 11, because first century Jews and Gentiles, again, lived under Roman law, and women, as well as men, could get a divorce. So Jesus is taking a position about marriage and divorce that applies to both men and women, clearly. Let me read for you Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to state before I even read it that part of this is going to sound a little strange, and I'm not going to get into the weeds on this, but we need to look at least the first two verses. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, those are the key phrases we need to look at, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Again, the certificate of divorce allowed her to get remarried. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her out of his house, or if he dies, and the first husband who divorced her basically tries to take her back and remarry her. Moses said, you can't do that. You can't remarry her. That. That would be a detestable thing in the eyes of the Lord. No one knows why this is in there exactly. And he says, don't bring sin upon the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Basically, don't sin or don't disobey these commands. So I'm not going to focus on the strange remarriage part of this right now. The commentators I read don't know exactly why that's in there, what it means in relation to other biblical passages. But the first part of the passage is where the issue lies that Jesus is addressing. There are two views on this passage. The first one was a majority view in the first century. It's the so-called liberal view, espoused by a guy by the name of Rabbi Hillel. The words becomes displeasing and finding something decent, and the man can divorce his wife for just anything he wanted to do or any good cause that he wanted to find. The minority view, or the conservative view, which Jesus is clearly taking, is espoused by a guy by the name of Rabbi Shemai, And he held that the only grounds under Jewish law for a legitimate divorce was sexual immorality or adultery. Jesus really does not want to talk about divorce. He wants to talk about gender and marriage here. But he does, again, clearly land on the conservative side of the issue. And I want it noted that Jesus is not loosening the standards at all from the Old Testament. Actually, he's tightening the standards from the Old Testament. First, he says simply, don't divorce. Certainly not for any cause you want to. But if you do, it better be for adultery. Now, it doesn't say that in in Mark's account, but Mark often doesn't say everything Jesus stated. It's Matthew's account, Matthew 19, 9. Jesus says, save for adultery, except for adultery. And Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 5, 31 through 32, in the Sermon on the Mount. There are a lot of views on the nuances of whether or not and when Christians can divorce their spouse biblically. The generally accepted views are adultery, abandonment, and physical abuse. The issues of remarriage are addressed by Jesus, Paul, and the Old Testament writers as well. And there are also a variety of interpretations of those passages. If you wanna do a deep dive into the issue of marriage and divorce and even remarriage, I've got a list of verses for you. I'll read the list. If you don't get them, you can email me and I'll send them to you. They're also in the Bible app if you're using it. Genesis 1, 27. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Genesis 5, 2. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Exodus 27, excuse me, Exodus 21, verses 10 and 11. And then Malachi 2, 14 and 16. 14 through 16, where God says, clearly, I hate divorce. Then Matthew 5, 31 and 32, the Sermon on the Mount passage. Matthew 19, 1 through 12, the parallel passage to this Mark passage. And then the Mark passage we're studying today, Mark 10, 1 through 12. And then Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16, espousing the abandonment principle. And then Ephesians 5, 22 through 31, the classic passage on marriage. I wanna make a few comments right now about the devastation in our culture of divorce. The devastation caused by the breakdown of the heterosexual family unit, which is still intended by God to be the foundational unit for society, is well documented. And the primary cause for that breakdown is divorce. Over 90% of males in our prison system today did not have their biological father living with them during most of their childhood and teenage years. Single moms struggling to raise their children alone is only part of the problem caused by divorce. The negative effects of divorce are deep and far-reaching, as some of you have experienced personally. Marriage, granted, is hard work. Any way you look at it, let's be real. Two sinners living in a confined space together for life, in most cases trying to raise children that have the same sin nature, that's a daunting assignment. To some degree, it's part of God's plan for you becoming more like Him. We're called, though, to work hard at it. Unfortunately, with COVID right now, it's getting even harder. Sad fact, many of you have seen it probably, just came out this week. Divorce filings are up 34% since COVID hit us back in March. Jesus, like all of us, had to deal with people that had failed miserably in this area of marriage and divorce. His teachings on marriage were incredibly strong, as you just heard. And his teachings on divorce were pretty hard-nosed for a couple of reasons. First of all, and hear this, and hear this statement well. Heterosexual, monogamous, lifelong marriage was and is God's design for the foundation of human society. To oppose or deny or or to twist that concept, either in principle, as some are doing today, or by your own behavior, is to oppose God's design for humanity to flourish. I want to note this, though. Jesus and Paul both affirmed another lifestyle choice that was in the boundaries of God's moral fabric, and that's celibate singleness. They both modeled that lifestyle and made it clear that, too, was then God's standard of holiness and affirmed it. The second reason, though, that marriage and divorce are such sort of big issues with God, marriage language is used by God in the Old Testament and the New Testament to describe God's relationship with His people. Living in a faithful, loving, covenant relationship and marriage is supposed to mirror that relationship. God says in Malachi 2, 14-16 that He hates divorce, meaning that He hates the consequences that flow from divorce. They always wreak havoc in some degree on families, on individuals, and in society in general. But how did Jesus deal with those that had failed in this area? even big-time failures, adulterers, promiscuous people, people that were divorced and remarried. First, he was always looking for a repentant heart from this moral failure or any other moral failure, an attitude about their own sin that was right. And when he found that, he dealt graciously and lovingly with them, as we should as well. One example is in John 4, Verses 1 through 42, it's a very famous story. His Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman at a desert well one day. He simply goes there looking for a drink of water, and he has no way to draw water from the well. And then he violates kind of the societal norms of these days, societal boundaries, and he engages a woman to boot, a Samaritan woman, in a significant intimate conversation even a theological conversation. But before they get very deep into the conversation, Jesus confronts this woman personally about her lifestyle. Let's hear Jesus' words from John 4, 16 through 18. He told her, go call your husband and come back, and then we'll talk, basically. Well, she said, I I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, remember, this is God she's dealing with, You're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands already, and the man you have now is not your husband. She's living with some other guy. What you've just said is quite true. Folks, uh, Jesus is definitely indicting her and connecting her about her lifestyle. Jesus then goes on to have a very serious conversation with her and reveals to her something he's told only a few trusted people up to this point, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. Then he allows her to become a messenger, a missionary to help him with lots of two-day mini-revival in the Samaritan village. Jesus posts strong warnings at the top of the cliff of divorce, so to speak, telling us not to jump off the cliff, not to get too close to the edge so that we fall off the cliff. And I know that some of you have been pushed off of that cliff, but he wants the church to be ambulance drivers and caregivers to help those at the bottom of the cliff that fall or jump or are pushed off, so to speak. Let me make some recommendations for you. Here's one. If you're struggling in your marriage, even if you have grounds for a divorce, don't give up immediately and quickly. Go to counseling I strongly recommend the Joshua Center. If you're a member or regularly attend church, we can help subsidize that. Seek God. This is the biggie. And keep seeking God. Asking Him what He wants you to do. Keeping your vows in mind, your family in mind, God's Word in mind, while remembering that ultimately God is your first love and the one who cares for you most deeply. You're the apple of His eye, and you are His beloved, regardless of whether you've failed in this area or any other area. If you have failed miserably in this area, repent. Repent. Don't be prideful. Repent. And be willing to embrace the consequences, the mess that maybe you've helped make. Ask God for mercy and forgiveness. And seek to make the marriage you're in now if you're in another one the best you can, with God's help. The words to a song from the 1970s come to mind right now. It goes like this. There's a place that is green as a mountain stream. It's as bright as an April morn. It's a place that is offered to you each day. A place where hope is reborn. It's a place that is only a step away. It's a place for all women and men. It's a place that is only a step away, a place for beginning again. God bless all of you. I'll see you next week either here online or in the football fields behind the Boys and Girls Club at 9 a.m. next Sunday morning. God bless.